0: Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast for C-suite IT executives and leaders from C-suite leaders. And now, for today's podcast, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hi, I'm Howard Holton here with The Sweet Spot. Today, we're interviewing David Smethurst, oil and gas CTO for Hitachi Ventara. How are you doing, David? Very good. Howard, thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Excellent. Excellent. So we wanted to talk today about uh, the oil and gas industry. Uh, You've been in the industry for how long? About 30 years. And what did you do in the oil and gas industry?
1: Most of my time has been primarily in engineering and operations. However, co-founding a few businesses in engineering uh, as well as automation and in software. So my big goal in even being involved in the industry was around optimization. Continuous operations improvement has always been a part of the industry, and uh, that was an area that I like to focus on both in the US and in Canada.
0: Well, fantastic, fantastic. So when I think of oil and gas, uh, I think of uh, two things, probably like most people. I think of making my car run and the news about oil spills. Right. But I have to assume that the industry is separated into market segments, into business segments, Uh, What are those kind of big segments?
1: Uh, It's three segments, actually, three business segments. First is upstream, which are considered exploration and and production companies. And so that can include the service companies with them, so drilling completions. Uh, And then it goes to midstream. So midstream are the pipelines and the transportation. So that could be trains and uh, trucks as well. And then you go downstream, and downstream includes refining and petrochemical. In the case of petrochemical, it's doubling in size simply because of the products, petroleum-based products
0: that are being produced today. And there's some like four thousand plus petroleum products.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the number is. All I know is I surprise a lot of people when they hear that it comes from the oil and gas industry.
0: Sure. Yes. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember the revelation when personally when I found out that plastic was an oil based product. Right? right. The number of products that are that are discovered from you know, as a side effect of oil, I would say yes, is is shocking and amazing. That's right, shocking and amazing. Yes,
1: I mean in the, you know, in a typical place, whether it's a synthetic, it's uh, could be paint, it could be sulfur-based uh, products. It's you if you ask someone to live without these petroleum-based products, you'd be surprised what life would be like. Sure. So, it's not always tied to the to the um, to the car. It's not about gasoline per se.
0: Right. It's been an interesting evolution. Uh, When we talk about data, it's very common. Data is the new oil. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard a lot of comments from people, they don't like that particular analogy. Uh, But I quite like it, and I like it for that very reason, right? The initial goal was heating oil, lamp oil, excuse me, and then heating oil. Right. Um, And as we continue to to refine our process, we find more and more and more uses for... uh, for you know the, the totality of that oil. Right. Like what we bring out of the ground, not just the refined piece that makes fuel, but even the kind of the castoffs, right? We continue to find use for the for what, what previously may have been left over, may have been discarded. No, that's right. We continue to evolve and find use for, which I think is really interesting because that's kind of the data story, right? There's the the data that's core to your business and been core to your business, and the new the new oil. Right? The, new, the new data frontier right. is finding uses for data that you previously didn't find use for. Right. So what does that mean for oil and gas? Well,
1: oil and gas has been creating data for
0: many decades.
1: As a matter of fact, the digital oil field was, the vision around it was to create data to get better insight into your business and go from proactive, or sorry, reactive to proactive. And so how do you do that when you have it a changing environment, you have commodity prices changing, and unfortunately, they would have these radical swings. So they would store all this data. And there was a time, and it still does exist, where in the upstream, so these are geophysical, geological people, working on all this information, they'd put it somewhere, and then they'd spend half their time trying to find it again. So that's just one area. And you think of the size of these um, uh, data sets. I mean, we're just talking significant.
0: Sure, it's um, 3D, 3D geodata, right, right? So right. it's incredibly, incredibly massive uh, data sets to try to build an image about what's under the substrate, under the soil. That,
1: that's right. Exactly right. And of course, from the business side, so there's always been a discrepancy or a disconnect between the corporate office, which can be fairly digital, meaning desktops and everything else, compute power, and then you have the field where these assets are. And so even today, connect uh, you know the vision around connecting with real-time data and being able to get real insight, do the analytics... Um, is still a vision and it is working to some degree. However, if they can't monetize that data, for them to go and ingest more data, you know, when they want to do, you know, connect more devices, IoT or automation, which is, you know, again, another driver, but also even to get to that artificial intelligence level, they need to first first of all, get the data management under control. And then on top of that, deal with the demographic swing because, Right now, the aging workforce within oil and gas, a lot of the millennials are coming in and they, they actually embrace automation. Sure. So the timing right now for this uh, data to become the new oil, to bring in more data, to automate more, you actually reduce risks in the operational side of things. You're able to get better insights. So even to ensure those assets, your risk models change. So it's, it's a great time to be in oil and gas. And as a matter of fact, the demand is going up, not down. And again, it's not tied to the car. It's tied to all these other petroleum-based products that are in demand. Consumption continues to grow.
0: So, uh, so oil and gas is kind of thought to be a sunset business, right? Again, we tend to think of the energy produced from what we pull from the ground and not the totality of what, uh, what oil the products that oil and gas brings. So it's thought to be a little bit of a sunset, right, with renewable energy on the rise, electric vehicles on the rise, But that doesn't necessarily appear to be the case.
1: Well, there, you know, again, when when I look at the energy sector, so as a CTO of energy, oil and gas is our primary, um, but we know the oil and gas industry also invests in alternative energy. The challenge is the cost. So it's a transition of going into these alternative energies and looking at ways to improve on that, even though there are hydrocarbons, I think it's still 200 years worth of hydrocarbons. It over time will eventually change and how, how we manage and use this energy. Um, and again, there's a thing called cumulative effects, which is the environmental impact, the social impact, and the economics. And as economics improve, we'll see a better transition um, of countries and people embracing that. But depending on where you are in the world, they will move quicker, such as Europe, right? They need to look at having less cars on the road. And having a different infrastructure,
0: for sure. I, I think that's a, a common thread, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and like everything, right? It's this big arc of evolution. Uh, I think every every place will eventually catch up. It's a little harder in places like uh, Africa and Australia, right? Where the range of an electric vehicle is a huge problem, even right. in the U.S. That's huge right. problem in Canada, huge problem. Um, but but Europe makes a lot of sense. Right. It's uh, the size of New England, uh, and it's relatively dense with with uh, population centers. Right. So an, an electric charging infrastructure isn't the nightmare. Now, I will say uh, Hitachi's uh, currently working on a project in in London because uh, while uh, regulation has occurred to force a move to electric vehicles, especially in the city of London, the last time the infrastructure was, the electric infrastructure was upgraded was post-World War II when they were repairing right. it from some bombing. Right. Uh, so the big stress, and we're seeing this more and more, is uh, if I add five thousand new electric cars or fifty thousand new electric cars, which is what London's looking at. Um, what does that change in the in the energy producing infrastructure? Mm-hmm. Have you seen seen the effect or impact or uh, discussion about that?
1: Yes. So as a matter of fact, uh, within Otachi and with our partners, looking at power grid optimization. So where we um, we look at a few different areas, water management. And the power and utility side, and so you look at infrastructure in general, uh, and how Hitachi needs, to, or well, how the cities or the countries need to invest uh, for the future, and determine how best they can manage the timing around that. And um, what we're finding is, on the water side, they're running out of water. On the power side, they don't have an infrastructure in place to even come close to supporting that. So. Um, so when you look at these power grid optimizations, this is certainly an area that the energy business, so oil and gas and um, a general collaboration we've been involved in, but it's also very common um, business challenges, sure. including the data side of it.
0: Sure. Uh, well, the data side there is is uh, very difficult, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a full IoT project. Yes. So when you're talking about not having good enterprise information management right. and that kind of causing a problem, I can't activate right. the data that I have now. Right. Well, the evolution is going to demand more data, whether you're ready for it or not. Right. Right. And so the challenge becomes: I, I almost have to leapfrog right. where I'm at, and then and drag the old with the new. Right. And that's a difficult conversation to have. Yes. And and you know, I was just thinking of the
1: this whole IoT connecting more devices, and then the AI, the expectation of this machine learning that truly is the automation that will come into play with electric cars and self-driving cars, et cetera. Right. So that it's going to be Interesting, but to do that and to do that in real time, um, you've got you're adding a lot of new technology. Yes.
0: And and um, oil and gas, how is their like? What's their technology uh, experience level? Like, how mature are they as organizations when it comes to technology?
1: Well, the topic of technology, though, in oil and gas, ranges from the computer or compute power to technology that relates to the subsurface. Again, um, looking at data, sorry, um, being able to literally understand what the subsurface environment looks like to the types of drill bits they create to the type of software that you need to even move this data. So you look at um, a drilling rig today to modernize a drilling rig is um, from a safety point of view, they actually want to have less people, they're able to do it remotely. So the technology could be from um, the physical infrastructure side to the equipment, to, um, and right down to the desktop. And then of course, the communication side of it, Um, you know, bandwidth to be able to even move this data. And as I say, get to that ultimate real-time data capture to prevent things or be more proactive. Um, There's just so many areas of technology that's to be considered. And North America certainly is leading in that between the city of Calgary and the city of Houston over the last 50 years. They've driven most of the Um, Broad-based kind of technology and then of course now collaborating with the Silicon Valley has become more common the last two or three years Than it ever has been
0: That's excellent to hear Mm -hmm. Um, So We know Silicon Valley when it comes to technology is generally relevant. Mm -hmm. That would be a fair statement regardless of the industry Um, What about Hitachi Ventara makes us relevant in oil and gas? Well,
1: actually, it's part of the reason I even joined Hitachi. When we look at all of our experience, both from an operational point of view, manufacturing point of view, um, already having some equipment with with um, uh, predictive maintenance already built in, we have so many examples and so many resources that we can bring together. And even recent wins uh, in the business of solving major data problems is giving us the brand equity in a business that wants to know less about the presentation and more about the engagement and delivery. And so um, it's been great to be creating this operational bridge for them to understand. So an oil and gas company, when they have to solve a business problem, it's broken down into asset teams. We're able to talk their language, be able to look at what do they have and how can we enhance that versus rip and replace. So um, no, I think we're doing very well in uh, not promoting, but delivering these outcomes.
0: Excellent. Excellent. It also must help to be part of Hitachi Limited. Yes. Right? We have 830, I think, sister companies. Yes. Some of which are in the energy production business. Right. 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 We, we, uh, our, our company got started, we, we were just at headquarters, right? Yes. We were at the HEBC. Yes. And we saw the uh, first electric motor, the first electric motor built in 1910, a, a little, yeah. uh, was it five horsepower? Five horsepower.
1: Yeah, five horse. No, f- yeah, ten horsepower. I can't remember, but no. it was it it's was impressive. Thing, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right.
0: that's right. right. So we've been in we've been in energy for a long time. And, yes. uh, and and to your point, right? Not only does Hitachi Ventara have these predictive maintenance tools, but Hitachi Limited um, has been using them in production, in energy production for for quite a long time. Absolutely, right? with a high level of success and a high level of automation. Yes, so it's going to be interesting to see how that how that kind of moves out. Um, so most companies, most verticals, most businesses uh, are looking at, the, at cloud and have been doing cloud for quite a while. What does cloud mean to oil and gas?
1: Well, it, cloud, it was, um, it was a big reluctance to um, take that risk and putting their data off-site. And, um, but what they've been realizing, especially recently, is it provides scalability. So you look at most oil and gas today is a global business and they are in remote areas. So for them to be able to take something, standardize it, streamline it, and simplify it, the cloud helps and or enables that. And so we know, and even uh, you know, in recent um, opportunities, we're working with drilling rigs. Without the cloud, we would not be able to scale the way we are, and even working with partners or bringing in third-party solutions to work with us, the cloud has really been able to help us do that. That's fantastic.
0: That's fantastic. So. Um, so you and I have talked a fair bit before this about, about oil and gas, and, and we were talking the other night, um, and one of the things that, that I think is obvious from the improvements in using data and kind of adding IoT is, is really around reducing the um, environmental impact and the kind of marketing value around that, right? If, if I can reduce the environmental impact to what we do uh, through things like BP or a pipeline spill... Um, that's a fantastic win overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a there's monetary gains to be made there. There's loss reduction in lawsuits to be made there. There's also marketing value, right, mm-hmm. to be to be done there. But you you clued me into something I hadn't even thought about that. Um, the insurance industry to, not to lead in too much, but yeah, the insurance industry. I yes. find that I find that really intriguing. Can you tell yes. us about that a little bit?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, so a number of years ago, one of the software companies I had co-founded, we had looked at the well lifecycle and. And knowing that the risk management 10, 15 years ago was very high and the cost for a producer, an oil and gas producer, was quite significant because when they were underwriting or going to get their insurance, the list of questions on the risk model that they had, they couldn't answer them. They drilled 100 wells, you know, what type of information could they give from when it first is producing right through um, to where it is in its current state. So recent meetings uh, with a reinsurer is asking that same question. How do I insure a company that either has a lot of information of their assets or predicting, you know, and understanding the amount, you know, from a health and safety point of view, from a production point of view, right? Understanding what, what is the potential um, production or output that a well could produce, or how many times can I prevent any issues of an explosion, of um, someone being hurt? And, uh, and so now with the increase of data available in the increase of the analytics providing me that data, all of a sudden I'm dealing with real-time flow and pressure. I can determine a leak before it happens because, or if it's a small leak that you're now getting, uh, insight into pumps failing or, uh, compressors failing. So these are all things that an insurer now looks at and says, wow, these guys will prevent a lot of this, these, um, Concerns around uh, major issues that would require cleanup or environmental um, challenges that are millions and millions of dollars. So it's it's an area that um, it is also forcing in some cases if people are reluctant to invest further into their data, now they see a return and it's an operational return that
0: not everybody thought about. And and what kind of return are we talking? Are we talking? uh, It's in thousands, millions. millions, It's millions of dollars.
1: Like a one percent improvement on almost anything within oil and gas is millions. I mean, we have a scenario where working in a pipeline and getting it up forty percent faster is thirty million dollars just in one area alone. So again, proactive versus reactive, that's it's big Sounds savings tremendous. in many
0: cases. Yeah. tremendous. So, um, so let's talk about that kind of um, predictive alerting around uh, pipeline leaks. Mm-hmm. What does that translate to like how does that work today and then what does that mean in in savings or value to the business once we've gone proactive okay so how do they handle it today
1: well that's that's interesting so i'll answer this the second part first in regards to the savings we don't normally tell them how much they'll save as a matter of fact what we say is we'll give them what we are addressing meaning if it's a pipeline and the pipeline has real-time data capture, and we're now predicting when we want to do the shutdowns. It's planned. It now has um, the ability, so downtime is a big concern anytime in oil and gas. So you're putting all these things into play, they know right away what that savings looks like. The only reason the earlier quote on the 30 million is because they came up with that number based on time. Sure. Right. And so by giving that insight, where you can determine a pinhole on a leak whether it's oil gas or water um, you know that is a proactive state that they can quickly address the issue and get back up and running and so it, that's that's why i say and predictive just says that the anomalies from the data that you get to know if a compressor because there's are compressors and pumps always going um, that's really how you will get that these kind of outcomes and it makes a lot more sense because when you can automate, or like for instance, a control process, you're able to automate that through artificial intelligence. Um, you still have operators involved, sure, but you've taken a lot of risk um, on your downtime or other issues.
0: Yeah. It's great. So, so currently, leaks occur. Yes. Right. Um, how long does a leak generally, like how, how long has does the leak occur before it is repaired?
1: Well, depending on what part of the world you're in, but sometimes it can be days. They have planes that fly the length of a pipeline. So depending again, if it's below ground or above ground. So you have a lot of different issues. You also run what's called a pig. They run them under high pressure through um, and try to look at the pipeline integrity uh, as well. Um, so there are different ways to do that. Unfortunately, because you can't get the data um, real time sure. or you can get it near real time, depending again, what kind of coverage, um, there's always a delay and delays is usually delays cost money, a lot of money.
0: And so automating that reduces that delay by some amount. Do you have any idea what that amount might be?
1: Uh, Again, it's going to be based on a pipeline. And you need to also understand that pipelines are tied in from where the well site is. Sure. Right? So that's a pipeline going into a main pipeline. And the pipelines are the arteries of the industry. Uh, So you're dealing with pipeline right from a wellhead all the way through to crisscrossing countries um, and borders. And so... Yeah, uh, it can really range, and it also ranges in size depending if it's oil or gas, high pressure. Um, there's a lot of variables.
0: Interesting. So, so let's say I'm a I'm a, a account executive, and it's my job to uh, to sell my products, to to make my quota, and to make inroads in new customers. Mm-hmm. And I've got uh, I've got a, an oil and gas company, and let's say they're an upstream oil and gas company, um, and I want to. I need to send an email to say, hey, this is, this is who I am. I'm Hitachi Ventara. This is what, what I can do for you. Do you have any tips for, for an account executive in that in that? Absolutely.
1: Um, well, first of all, when you look at the roles of oil and gas, one of the primary roles is a VP of operations. So if you want to, I've often heard or have been asked to, you know, we want to meet with a C-suite. Um, meeting with a senior executive in any industry, you either are as um, uh, well-informed uh, in not only their business, et cetera. But when you look at a, at a VP level, so they are the ones, whether it's in finance operations or even on the IT side, preferably those three together as in a meeting. But when a good tip is look at what the VP of operations, whether it's through LinkedIn or even understanding on their, um, on their website, what they talk about sustainability, what they talk about their operations improvement plans, Because often operations improvement should align to their digital transformation plan. And often a VP of operations, if you contact them through their admin and you talk about digital oil field optimization or uh, incremental improvement, that often gives them the context that you know something about the industry, Mm -hmm. but also starts to align with what does incremental look like. Because anything dramatic in oil and gas, including they don't like the terminology um, to make disruptive, Sure. To make things disruptive, that doesn't work for them. So uh, as I say, and that's often where I'm helping people is look at the operations conversation first. And then like most of our meetings, we start to look at well, how would we solve those things. And it usually starts with data management and then goes into um, looking again where they can improve or d- take risk out of, out of the equation. And you'd be surprised at how engaged Finance because they need to live by the numbers. You can't measure it, you can't manage it. Yep. And then, and it's a regulated environment, so everybody has a stake in that. It's interesting.
0: So you and I are both on the CTO team. Yes. And it's interesting sitting here. Uh, we have the same kind of conversation over and over, right? Mm-hmm. It's about de-risking. Right. It's about incremental improvement. Right. It's about reducing cost. It's yep. about operational efficiency. All of that seems to be a common thread, regardless of your industry. Right. And yet the value is in that 20% bridge, right? right. 80% is common and the value yeah. really is in that 20% understanding digital oil field. Right. right. Understanding that disruption for other industries might be good, but inside oil and gas, it's either not good or, it's, or it's, they're just exhausted. That's right. Right.
1: Well, and they've also had a history of spending a lot of money. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the customers we're getting today, um, they've already invested in ERP applications and everything else, but they're not getting the output or the outcomes that they're looking for so you don't necessarily have to be an oil and gas specialist, but you need to know there is a legacy or a history of technology that hasn't met the objectives. We're not going in with a, with a box of, of solution, a solution, a point solution. We are really going in, you know, addressing a number of areas with our experience, stuff we have today and with our partners um, to address an area that, um, again, we're getting great great uh, results because one, we do know that we start with an operational context. So IT to OT is, it is what we are doing today. And, um, as a matter of fact, many of our customers appreciate that, that we're not all talking about, as you said, as our CTOs, we look at the business outcomes and work with our, our, uh, regions, the country managers to really let them know what an engagement and
0: delivery model looks like. Fantastic. Well, this has been great. I, uh, I want to thank you for your time. My pleasure. And uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Excellent. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, David. You bet.